This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Growing up, dad was one way for me. And once I turned pro, once I signed my contract, uh, we, we had a different relationship when it came to the game of baseball. He was always dad, and he could, you know, my dad played up until well, I was in double A. I was in double A with the Mariners, and dad was still in the big league. So I, I was like, you know, wow. if dad can hang on for another year, I can maybe play with him. But it never, never happened. But once I got there, our relationship changed. It, it became. We still had the father, son doing regular activities, but we also had a professional relationship. I would work with him in the offseason. He knew my swing more than more than anybody. I mean, I had times during seasons in Cincinnati. If dad wasn't working somewhere, I'd send him a plane ticket. He'd fly in and meet me under the under the stadium before anybody got to the ballpark. Yeah. Because he knew my swing so well. Uh, as far as my brother, we were teammates one year, uh, but we'd always keep up with each other. You know, I'd be calling him once a week, how you doing? How's your swing? If, if he had faced somebody that I was about to say, Hey, what do you think? He's still yeah. doing this. Is he still doing this, this, and this? So yeah. we were always back and forth with Intel. I had Greg Maddox on the program. He talked about having a, his brother, Mike, and he, he said, if he, there was a series come up, I'd, I'd call Mike and say, Hey Mike, how did this guy, is he swinging it? Is he doing well? Yeah. How was that relationship? Once you became a pro from, from, uh, with your brother and, uh, with pops. Yeah so similar it's so crazy it's like this is like a mere reflection it's like um 
you know, you know, we were always really, really close as a family and, and, you know, we've maintained that and, and, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, um, the trading of information, right. Just yeah. much like you yeah. said, but you know, my father, much like your father, kind of the relate, yeah, the father, son, and, 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 and even a brotherhood, right. It was like, you know, we had, you know, my, my dad was like our best friend. He was like, he was like one of the, he was one of the boys. He was one, you know, if we were hunting, fishing, we were doing something in the winter. It was like, it was just, it was just buddies, you know, my brothers, uh, my father, myself, it was just friends getting together. You know, we had similar values. We had similar interests and, and all of that. And then, you know, we're also, you know, you got father son relationship that's also going on, but um, you know, dad became more than dad. When I got to major league baseball, he became that go-to person when the chips were down for me. And, and I'll never forget 1992. And I'll share a quick story with you is, is, you know, in 1992, it was, you know, the first, you know, through July, the blue Jays, we were tearing it up and we had about a 10 game lead in the East. And, and then we hit a skid, you know, the dog days of August, they hit us hard and, and we went on a skid and it was kind of like everyone was catching up and we weren't playing well, but on top of the team wasn't playing well, I was just getting killed on the mound and I'd lost like five in a row or something like that. And, and if you lose five in a row as a starting pitcher, that like, that's a bad month or month and a half, right? That's miserable. Yeah. And I wasn't just losing though. I was having a hard time even getting to the fifth inning. Now in today's game it might be a little different, but back then you were expected to get to the seventh, eighth and ninth inning. Right. And you were expected to get deep into the game and you were expected to be able to throw 125, 130 pitches in a game. Well, I'm not even getting, and, and in some cases I'm getting bounced out of games in the third and the fourth. And when I say bounce, I'm giving up eight, nine, 10 runs. It's not like I'm giving up a couple runs. I'm getting murdered on the mound. And, and I remember I, I called my father. I said, dad, and he was a pitching coach at the time with the New York Mets. I said, dad, I'm struggling. He goes, man, I see that. And I said to him, I said, you know, dad, when I make a good pitch, I'm not getting anyone out. When I make a bad pitch, they're either hitting them over the wall or off the wall. I feel like, I feel like all I'm doing is backing up third. If, if they don't hit a home run, I go, and he says, you know, interesting, Todd, he goes, I don't actually see you making a lot of good pitches. <laughs> I was like, geez. I was like, wow, really? He goes, yeah, those pitches that you're throwing up and in on guys, especially when you're behind in the count, those are not good pitches. I said, these guys are too good to be able to fight it off and find outfield grass. But if you don't make your pitch up and in and it's out over the plate, that's where you're getting launched. And I said, exactly what's happening. And he says, listen, Todd, he says, I want you to focus on three things on your mound work in between your starts. And if you'll do these three things, here's what he said, you'll dominate. And I'm like, dominate? Dude, I can't even get to the fifth inning. I just want to survive right now. I'm like, I'm trying to uh, look, I'm look, kind of looking over my shoulder in 19. I'm like, are they going to replay? I mean, this is brutal. And I mean, I'm getting blasted and booed and I'm headlines and, and you're going through all of that and you're not. Pit he goes, no, he goes, listen to me, you'll dominate. I mean, he had so much belief. Right. And it's kind of like I always say, your coaches will believe things in you that you can't at the time. And that and sometimes you got to borrow the belief of the people you respect. Well, my father was the person I respected. He was. He was the guy I went to when the chips were down. So 
I was like, okay, Pops, if you say I can dominate, then I can dominate. But what are those three things? He goes, look, you got to stay back in your delivery. You got to finish strong and you got to think down. You're pitching up too much. You can't pitch up like that, especially at this level. He says, you don't have that kind of stuff. He says, you have electric stuff when you're down in the zone. I said, okay, stay back, finish strong, think down. He goes, that's it. He goes, well, there is one more thing. I'm like, I knew it. I go, it couldn't have been that simple. He says, in the bill of your cap, of your game cap, I want you to write K-I-S-S. I said, KISS? He goes, yeah, it stands for Keep It Simple Stupid. And he goes, now, do you know what Keep It Simple Stupid stands for? And I'm like, no, what, Pops? He goes, it stands for Stay Back, Finish Strong, Think Down. So every time you get out there and things start to get cloudy for you, all you have to do is go back to the three, stay back, finish strong, think down. That's it. And if you can do this consistently, you'll dominate. Now, of course, I did my mound work, stay back, finish strong, think down. Pretty simple. I go out for my next game. It's in Chicago at Comiskey Park. I throw one. The hit I give up in the game was in the eighth inning. It's the only hit. It's probably the best game I'd ever pitched in the major leagues. Almost threw a no-hitter. But the five starts prior to that, I couldn't even get to the fifth inning. And it was like my most trusted advisor, the guy I respected the most, the guy I could count on when the chips were down, who was my dad. And and yet he could realign me, but not just realign me. He could then lend me his belief in me that I was lacking at the time for myself. And that was the power of that father-son combination, that person that when they tell you something, it's like, okay, I'll run with a run through a wall with this information because dad, I trust you. I respect you. So that relationship of father, son, based on what they've done in the past, who they are today and our trust in them a lot, even if the information was wrong, we could take that information and go have success with it because of our belief from them providing just like your father with your swing. He can come in and he can say this. And whether it, listen, whether it's even right, wrong, or indifferent, you would say yes and go perform with that information. That's the power and the trust of having those dads and then having the trust in the dad. But but now they're becoming more than dad. They're becoming the coach. They're becoming our mentors. And they're becoming our confidants and the people we go to when the chips were down. So that's kind of how it was for them. And then, you know, having my brother both in the game and my father, you know, someone knew something about information if I was going to go. And, you know, I could find out if someone was running, if someone was doing this, you know, what are they looking for with two strikes? Uh, uh, You know, and, and I would always go through, you know, can I throw my slider to this guy with two strikes or is he diving? And it's like, no, he's diving. Listen, if you throw your curveball, you'll freeze him with two strikes. So I would gather that type of information. So it it definitely was added and was a massive benefit to helping me throughout my career. And I think, too, something that 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 was an advantage for us is the, the people closest to us, the, the our loved ones could actually relate to what we were going through because they've yeah. been there. They've been on that mound. They've been in that yeah. box. You know, a lot of times, most people don't have a, a big league father or a big league brother yeah. where, hey, you, you just don't know what, it, you know, when I'm in the box, well, I, I'd love to help you, Brett, but I, I don't know what it's like being in a major league box at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. 
So I, I think we do have that, but that's, that's really cool stuff. And and there is a, a kinship you, you, you kind of, you develop, especially at the pro level. And when you're an adult, when you're a kid, dad's giving me a hard time about my swing. I'm like, shut up, dad. I don't want, you're just dad being dad. But, but yeah. as it got older, it became a very professional relationship. Did you ever cross paths with your dad? Cause I know a lot of times he was in the national league. You were in the American league. That was kind of before and a little bit after the, the interleague yeah. play started. Did you ever cross paths? Yeah. 1998, actually, uh, I was Texas. I was- I was with the Cardinals. I got traded to the Rangers. And, yes. And, uh, That's you know, what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's crazy too is, is that 98, it was, is my, is my mom kind of let the cat out of the bag, which was kind of funny because um, she called me like at noon on the trading day. And, and I just turned the deal down with the Cardinals and they told me, they said, look, you don't take the deal. We're going to have to. And I said, listen, I understand. I said, but you know, I'm two months away from free agency, from listening to Major League Baseball, tell me how good or bad I am. I kind of want to hear what the information before I make a decision. And it was my first time being a free agent, but uh, it was it was it was prior to noon. And and my mom calls. She goes, now, listen, your dad's going to kill me. But I just want you to know Steinbrenner made a deal with the Cardinals. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So I'm thinking, man, I'm going to New York and I'm going to I'm not I'm going to not only be the first time that we're in the same league, but I could, I get a good chance to go. And my thinking at the time was, I remember hanging up the phone going, this is going to be so cool. I'll play two months with my dad. Hopefully we'll win a world championship. And then I'll come back and sign with the Cardinals and go on with my career. That that's literally what I was thinking at the time. And, and then I got to the stadium and, and I'm supposed to pitch against Maddox at night. We're in Atlanta. LaRusso walks in and he says, Hey, Stott, I need to see you in the office. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And, and I'm thinking I'm going in there and he's going to say, hey, we traded you to the Yankees. And he says, hey, listen, you know, he goes, I hate to I hate, you know, I, I, I want to keep, you know, I and, and we had a great relationship. And he goes, but, you know, the club has to do this. I go, listen, I understand. I respect the club. And I'm 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 excited at the time. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to New York. And 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 then he says, yeah, we traded you to the Texas Rangers. And I'm like, what? Mom. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to the Texas Rangers. I said, I thought I was going to the Yankees. He goes, where'd you hear that? Oh, nowhere. And I'm like, uh, yeah, pull one of those. And he goes, listen, and here's what he says. We, we decided not to make that move out of fear we would never get you back. And I'm like, wow. And I said, so, and that, it was so funny. I go, dude, what? places they what what place are the, are the rangers in he goes well they're a game behind the angels right now you're gonna have to go do your job and i'm like wow i'm not just getting traded i'm going to a team now a game behind and and by the way the pressure of being the hired gun to help them win a division right. is at a whole new level now for me and uh but was but was awesome. I relished in it, and it was great. It, and you know, and it was funny. I I at my first start in Texas was awesome, and got a standing ovation. And then I went on a skid, <laughs> and then pretty soon I'm getting booed out of the stadium in Arlington. And and then literally I just like all chips down, and 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 uh, had a great September, and and we ended up winning. And then guess who we play in the playoffs? Well, of course the New York Yankees. So now I'm going up game one in New York. David Wells is on the mound. My dad's in the dugout and I'm the opposing pitcher. And 
Um, you know, it was probably one of the best. It's odd. It's probably one of the best games I've ever thrown in the playoffs uh, through a complete game loss in New York and and got beat, you know, two to one. And it's like, hang with them. And uh, and I remember, you know, I met with my mom and dad afterwards. We and then we, you know, we went out together and the whole deal. And, and and it was funny because George Steinbrenner walked up and he says, hey, nice game. And I was like, you know, I, I'm thinking like, nice game. I just lost like I. I like, I want to punch you in the face, George. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that was supposed to be on your team. <laughs> right. You know? So that's cool. And, you know, I got to play. It's, it's bizarre. Cause I, when I signed in 1990, uh, was my draft. And by 1992, I was in the PCL and my dad took his first job outside of being a player as the manager of Tacoma. So I played against him all year and I, and it was weird at first, but I did really good when he was in that other dugout. So I just look forward. When are we going to play dad? I'm going to kick yeah. his ass. And it was yeah. great. I got to the big leagues and uh, I get traded after the 93 season. I get a phone call from Seattle and I said, yeah, Brett, uh, we made a trade. You're going to the Cincinnati Reds. And I'm, Oh no. And Davey Johnson gets on the phone and, Hey, Booney, glad to have you, this and that. Well, Davey Johnson and my father had played together back in the 70s. Yeah. And he said, by chance, is your dad around? And I said, uh, matter of fact, he's right here. I hand my dad the phone. You know, I go away. I do whatever I'm doing. My dad hangs up the phone. He walks out into the kitchen. He said, Brett, um, how would you feel about me being the bench coach for the Reds? And you had that reaction. I mean, you were, you were a veteran player at that time, so it's a yeah. little different mindset. But I'm this young player just finally kind of kind of establishing myself in Seattle. Now I get traded. I, I feel like I've got to do it all over again in the national yeah. league. Yeah. And now I got my dad. I got to drag with me. My <laughs> first thought was, I don't want you looking over your shoulder at your kid. I'll yeah. tell you what, Todd, it was one of my, it, it might've been my favorite year in the game. It yeah. was completely nothing like I thought it was going to be. He was as professional as you possibly could be. It was coach player. He was with the coaches. It's like I didn't even know he was there. Yeah. But then the the bonus is that off that off day, I can go have lunch with my dad yeah. and hang out. But it was all business when we were at the ballpark. He was yeah. the bench coach. He acted as such, as any other bench coach I've ever had. And it was really cool. And, uh, you yes. know, looking back, it was cool. And then he managed the Kansas City Royals, and I was the Mariners, and I'd love to come in and beat the crap out of him. <laughs> he yeah. managed the Reds for a couple of years, so I, I had a I had a lot more uh, interaction with him uh, crossing paths, but yeah. but always cool. Yeah. Um, you got to the big leagues in 1988. Yeah, and that was Exhibition Stadium. I never got to play Whoa. there. I just got to see it on TV, but. Starting there and then what was about to come, which was the biggest craze, maybe in all of sports, when uh, Skydome, now Roger Center, opened. I mean, that I remember being a young player, up and coming, and I remember watching you guys in Toronto going, that's the biggest game in town right there. It, that, yeah. that city was on fire. You had the new state-of-the-art stadium. Everybody's talking about the hotel in center field. You know, I'm hearing Robbie Alomar's got a room up there. You know, I'm a yeah. second baseman. I'm looking at Robbie Alomar at the time. It's like, I want to be him. Yeah. Uh, but tell me that the beginning of your career, going from exhibition, your first season, to now the grand opening of uh, of the Sky Dome and, and 
we'll talk about those years, those World Series years in a minute, yeah. but just your initial reaction, the change from, from the old stadium to the new. Yeah, so my first start in 88 um, in Exhibition Stadium, it didn't get rained out. It didn't get snowed out. It's the only time in my career, and I've never even heard of this ever before, we got colded out. It was so cold, <laughs> and it was so windy that they called the game. And it was my first, it was going to be my first start at exhibition stage. So my first time as a major league pitcher being a rookie that I was going to pitch in Canada in front of the home crowd and it, the game gets colded out. And I was thinking to myself, I just want to, let's just go play because I don't want to go through another night, you know, where I'm going to, and all the jitters and all the stuff. I was like, I don't want to go through it another night, but that stadium, um, I got to tell you, in April and even in May, it's like no one wanted to pitch. No one wanted to hit. Uh, and and you could get that breeze coming off the lake, and it, it could be miserable. Now, at that time, you know, the club is kind of like a little bit in a transition. Um, you know, my first year was Pat Borders' first year. And, and, and here Borders really went through the minor leagues as a third baseman. And, you know, I think he had caught one year and – in the minor leagues, they wanted to make him a catcher. And then next thing you know, he's, he's joining the club with me as a catcher and, and uh, behind earning whip. But uh, we were kind of like the, well, we were the only rookies on the team. We were the only young guys on the team and everyone else was, you know, is in that place where they were trying to build a winner. So there was some transition going on. And, and then the, the whole thing with the sky dome, um, uh, the sky dome and, and and Labatt's owning the team and 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 they they were just committed, you know, Pat Gillick being the general manager. And, and I'm sure you ran across Gillick and had Gillick as a GM one time or another. Yeah, and, it was, uh, Seattle. Yeah. And and it's like, you know, and he was positioning and putting people together. But not only the at the Sky Dome, but the Sky Dome also opened up a whole new world where that team started to transform. And it started to transform into the Sky Dome team, you know, really, you know, and it was like, you know, they bring Robbie over and they bring Joe over and they bring Devon White over and they start, you know, plugging in these guys along with some of the guys that had grown up in the organization. And and those years in Toronto were like, I mean, it's funny because um, people actually as free agents wanted to go to Toronto, <laughs> you know, where it wasn't, you know, where I think at one, you know, at some point they were probably begging guys to come there. You know, you got exhibition stadium, it's cold as hell. You got customs, you're in another country. Right. So all of a sudden you got the sky dome, you got an opportunity. Hey, this team looks like they can win. And, and, and the blue Jays started to recruit some great, great, you know, some great talent. And, and then, you know, when we won in 92, 93 and the fan support, 4 million fans, back-to-back -back years it's like eight million people watched those teams you know and um during the home games and by the way it was like it's not that they just sold out there wasn't a seat anywhere and literally people would get there early and they would stay all the way until the end of the game and and i think because of the excitement of the club because if the club was behind they might come back and win this game and they didn't and they didn't want to miss it so it wasn't like, hey, we'll show up in the second or third or get there late or get there, whatever. I mean, people were there like, you know, 30 minutes before game time. That place was filling up. I mean, when I go warm up in a bullpen, 
it was like everyone was already in the stadium. It was crazy and it was a crazy time. And, and uh, I mean, I, I look back, I was, you know, I'm, I look back now and I'm like, man, I'm just so grateful that I got a chance to be a part of those great clubs because I mean, when I think about a lot of the teammates, you know, we, we recruited Cone over right through a trade. And, and at one point we had Jack Morris and Dave Stewart and Dave Winfield and Paul Molitor, Ricky Henderson. You start looking at those names. It's like, Oh, hey, oh yeah. Oh, by the way, these guys are all in the hall of fame, but those guys were wanting to go to Canada, you know, and it was, and it, and, and they were, and, and they were looking at it as an opportunity to win a world series. Who would have thought, right. And when, and then, and, and that's a long ways from exhibition stadium in 1988 to getting yeah. cold without, I mean, there was this major transformation. And then of course the city of Toronto is, I mean, I don't know how, what your feelings are for, but it's like, I loved it, man. And it was like, you know, uh, other than the hassle of going in and out and, and going through customs and this and that, it was, it was a great place for me to grow up in the game. It was a great place for me to separate kind of like, that separation a little bit from my father to become my own person, to become my own player. You know, I'm in Canada. I'm, I'm in a completely different country than my father. So it allowed me to be Todd and not just Mel's son. And that was, a, by the way, that was a big deal for me. And, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier, but it was like, hey, I'm going to be myself, my own character. And, and everyone knows, you know, I was an emotional pitcher where, you know, something could break out and, and it's game on where, you know, my father was this very mild-mannered competitor who burned from the inside out. I think I burned from the outside in and 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 at the same time. But I was allowed to be me. And I'll, I'll say, you know, um, you know, we were talking about it earlier, you know, my father also allowed me to be me. You know, he he didn't try to say, hey, when I played, he didn't he didn't do any of that right. garbage with me. He was like, hey, listen, he goes, let's find a way to contain it so you can use all of that fire. He didn't try to take the fire away from me because I was embarrassing him as his son of, you know, getting ejected and charging umpires and bumping people. He didn't, he didn't try to change me. He allowed me to be me. And, and he goes, but let's see if we can get it more focused where you can use it to win instead of just blow up. And, right. and so, you know, that, and by the way, that takes a lot of courage for, you know, for our fathers to allow us to be ourselves because they were so respected in the game. Mm -hmm. Listen, your father was so, and still is, and, and your brother is, you know, in New York and, and yourself and your careers and your grandfather. It's like, if there was ever a baseball family, uh, the last name sounds like Boone to me. And it's like, you know, it's the Boones, it's the Griffies. And it's like, and it's cool. And, and then when I look at our family, it's like, hey, we get to be a part of those guys. You know, and that's how I will honestly, I would just tell you that um, from my father to my brother to myself, it's like that that little, you know, that that kind of fraternity, right, of families and baseball. Look, we took pride in, in, in the name Stoudemire being married to the name Boone and being married to the name Griffey. There was a lot of pride in that, that, hey, we were also carrying it out and we never felt like. Uh, we were ever leading that fraternity. We always felt like, hey, we just lucky to be a part of that fraternity. So I don't know if I answered your question. I know I went in about a nine different tangents there. But the fact of the matter is, um, you mentioned the Sky Dome. Toronto did transform around that. 
and then and then they begin to you know trade and acquire through free agency and and i gotta tell you that city was alive i'll never forget you know pulling out of the stadium and uh in 93 after the second world championship and uh first of all you had to wait like it was probably five hours because the city i mean it was like it was like the entire country invaded the streets and you couldn't you couldn't get out of the stadium so we were like locked i mean we were getting hammered in the clubhouse you know right <laughs> and but right. at the same time you know we were celebrating but it's time to get out of there and we couldn't get out of the stadium you know, you couldn't pull out on the streets because people were not leaving. And it was like until sunup to where people were like, maybe they got tired and they were like, OK, <laughs> you know, or maybe they were drunk enough that they finally went home and went to bed. But whatever it was, but it was like, I mean, you want to talk about awesome, like the greatest party in the world for us. You know, it was the coolest thing. And around baseball at that time, you know, in 92, I was at the Mariners. We weren't going anywhere and I remember watching you guys up there going, that's like I said at the opening, that, that, that was the party. That was the biggest thing going in town. Uh, and not just, I don't mean Toronto. I mean, on the big stage of major league baseball, yeah. that was the hot spot. Um, and the difference is you won in 92, you went again in 93. I remember vividly where I was sitting and I'm going to ask you about that in a minute when Carter hit the home run, but, um, not only are you playing for Toronto Blue Jays, you're playing. It seems like you guys, you're playing for the for Canada, for the country yeah. of Canada, yeah. almost almost like an Olympic event. Yeah. So whereas you know when when the Kansas City Royals win, they don't win one for the U.S. They win one for Kansas City. Yeah. But at that time in in history, when you guys were winning, it's like the whole the whole country was 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 kind of enjoying the the celebration along with the city of of Toronto. Made it so unique. Um, I I uh, I did an interview um, right before opening day with with uh, the fan radio up in in Canada, and I said, you know, and they were kind of like talking about the old days and now you know the club today. And I said, look, when we played, it was like the WBC. You know, yeah. the the name on the front of the uniform was so important, and it was so much more important than the name on the back of the uniform because we weren't just representing the city, we were representing the country and, and, and the thrill of that. And then, and then to, 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 you know, the thought of winning a world series in a country outside of America, right. So, or outside of the United States. So people were like, you know, it was always like, you know, especially ESPN and a lot of things, they kind of always were like, okay, now it's the blue Jays, you know? And it was like, and we kind of used it as fire, like, hey, no, we, we're going to be reckoned with. We're going to be known. We're going to look. We're not just another team up in Canada, you know, and, and we became that. And it was it was like, you know, it was something special. And and it's it's cool because, you know, to play on those teams and to represent, you know, not just as you say, not just the city, not just like Kansas City. And it's and it's crazy because another one of those things where I probably didn't know what we didn't know was I traveled to Vancouver, right? It's like thousands of miles away from Toronto. And, and it's like, you know, and everyone in Vancouver is a blue Jay fan. Yeah. And, and when we would go play the Manor, Mariners, it was like all the people from Vancouver would come down and invade the stadium and try to make it a home game for the blue Jays. And, 
And it was just crazy where that whole country just fell in love uh, with that club. And, and I, you know, it's so funny, I think back and I'm like, man, I was just at that time, just a blue collar average guy trying to find my way in, into the game, trying to find my way into the deal surrounded by stars and, and, uh, and surrounded by greatness. And, 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 and there's times where I was like, geez, I just don't even feel like I'm holding my part of the part of the bargain. But, you know, when I look back and I look back on my baseball career, people ask me a lot of times, you know, like, you know, what, what are some of the, what are some of the greatest moments? And for me, it's like, it's never, it was never, you know, it was never, you know, something I did personally, it was being a part of something that was bigger than me. And, and being on those teams was pretty incredible. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And I, when I started digging into those teams, because I, on the surface, of course, I, I remember the guys. But then when I really started looking at it year to year, not only were some of my favorite humans in, in, on this earth pop up, Johnny got to play with in, in yeah. Seattle for a couple of years, just one of my favorite men yeah. in life. Yeah. Uh, Pat Borders, I got to play with in Seattle. And this is kind of after his heyday, but, yeah. but what, a, what an unbelievable guy. And to yeah. this day, I have so many great memories of just sitting there with yeah. Pat after games and him talking me down you know pat was kind of the backup catcher he'd he'd go to triple a what a what an unbelievable guy but besides that it's like i look at that world series team in 92 and it's like you had the carter and and robbie and ola rude your your starting staff was jack morris jimmy key dave steve one of the most underrated guys of all time i think for sure uh hanky wells is on that team yeah. Dwayne Ward, I remember as a kid, I'd, I'd get, I'd start when Dwayne Ward would come to come into the game. It, later, he was a closer. Yeah. I, I would start getting a twitch. I'm like, I, that ball is so heavy. I don't want to face Dwayne. Crazy. Ward. These are all guys in your bullpen. You win the World Series a year later. Your start rotation is, and and I didn't mention you because you were in the middle of all both of them. You had Pat Hankin, Guzman, Dave Stewart. Yourself and Jack Moore. So completely different pitching staff from 92 to 93. Same result. It's phenomenal to me. Yeah. Well, crazy. Paul Molitor, you mentioned. Yeah. You know, Molitor was there for 92. Yeah. So Winfield came in 92. And then, and then uh, they didn't re-sign Winfield and sign Molitor. And it was just like, we just traded Hall of Famers. And, and, you know, both of those guys, interesting enough is, both of those guys came to be basically the designated hitter, right? And 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 but both of those guys made a huge impact on those teams. So Winfield made a massive impact in 1992. And then he and then he departs and then Mulder comes in and he makes a massive impact in 1993. And you could you could say, "Hey, if you take Winfield out of 92 and you take Molitor out of 93, 
would the Blue Jays have won? And I, I don't know the answer, but I would be, I you know, it'd be hard to say, yeah, they would have won. Those guys made that kind of impact. And then you have, you know, the all of the different impacts. And it's like you mentioned, it's like, you know, Hankin and Guzman in 93. And it's like, well, where were they in 92? I mean, these are young guys. And they just came up dominating, man. And it yeah. was, I mean, it was crazy. It was like Guzman, I mean, I think he won like 10 in a row at one point or something. And he was, you know, just unhittable. And it's like, and and then, you you know, it's funny in 1988, you mentioned, or, or in 1992, you mentioned Wells. He was in the bullpen. He's in the pen. Yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> I mean, when you look back on his career, I mean, it's like, it was a great left-handed starter. I mean, threw a perfect game and. He'd done a lot of great things as a starting pitcher, won, won a ton of games. He was in the bullpen in 1992. It's kind of – it's and, and an award is the setup man. You know, it's kind of like yeah, Rivera being the setup. It's kind of like Rivera being the setup man for Wetland on, uh, and, and unfortunate to Ward. He didn't, he didn't last as long. He got injured. But this guy was – I mean, these setup men w- went on to be the best closers in the game when they became closers. I mean, and these guys were setup guys. So when you look at the depth of that, it's like those teams, they're fun to look at. Not because I played on them, but I always look and I say, well, you know, and take me out of the picture because it had a little to do with me. But when I look at just just forget the pitchers, just look at the the guys that were playing every single day and go put those up against other teams. And it's like, damn, they were good, man. Yeah, I look at the the. the the personnel from those two teams, it's just, it's as star studded as I think we've ever seen. It's crazy. And the amount of those guys that are now today in the hall of fame or just missed the hall of fame, whatever, there's just so many of them. It's just, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, um, and it was fun. Like I say, it was, you know, to be around that, to be around those clubs and, and to be around, you know, being a young guy and, and to be a, to be around the Winfields, to be around the Molitors, to be around the Stewarts, to be around Jack Morris. And, and, you know, Jack was, you know, here this, you know, at the time he was going to be a future hall of famer, but it was like, I mean, he was like a kid, man. And he just loved to compete. And, and he would always say when he's going to the bullpen, he'd say, Hey kid, watch me outlast this guy. And, and, you know, his game and his gamesmanship and his mindset was, I'm going to outlast every starting pitcher I ever go up against. And it became contagious, you know, and it's like, you want to go outlast the other guy. And, and, uh, and, but, you know, a lot of fun. Um, those guys were stars, yet humble enough to play as a team and pull a single rope where the goal every time was, you know, and the focus was win every game. You know, it's crazy. It was like, you know, a lot of teams talk about winning the series, win the series, win the series. We were always like, let's win the game. And 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 the focus was win every game. Now, obviously, you're not going to win every game, but that was the focus. And the fallback was win the series. So today you hear people say, I'm going to win the series. That was our fallback. We were like, let's sweep them. <laughs> like, let's win every game. Like today, let's win. When we show up tomorrow, we got to be here. Let's win. If we're in an extra inning game, no one's getting paid overtime. Might as well win. When you get to playoffs, hey, anybody getting paid their salaries? Nope. Well, if we got to be here, let's win. It was always let's win. And that was a pretty cool atmosphere to grow up in. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 